welcome to Jag Bags, a discussion of all things pop culture. I'm Mike Byer. And I'm Len Foote. And welcome to the program. We are coming to you live tonight <laughs> from the crazy home studios in Woodridge, Illinois, where tonight we will talk one of the all-time great comedies, Caddyshack, a movie that pretty much every white male aged 45 and over knows by heart. We'll talk uh, our favorite scenes from the movie, our favorite main characters and secondary characters, where it ranks all time among the great comedies of the 70s and 80s, some of our favorite scenes, favorite quotes. There's so many to choose from. What a program we have lined up for you. Len, are you excited? I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted by going into a deep dive on the Quincy TV show. <laughs> Man, let me tell you, when my co-host, when you think of him, you think ultimate focus. <laughs> Laser locked in on the topic. Paul Rudd was on Quincy. <laughs> Who else was on Quincy? We we were talking this before the... Uh, before the Melora Hardin. Oh, oh, oh Melora Hardin. Oh, oh, oh. She's my, other words, my girlfriend. Yes, your girlfriend, Melora Hardin. Or what other girlfriend? I had another girlfriend on the show. Mimi Rogers. Oh, Mimi Rogers. Probably the best person that was on Quincy was Nat from Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> that really is the best guest. You can't beat that. You can't beat that star power. You really can't. It's like you don't even need a delight a scene because he illuminates it. <laughs> the reason we are talking about Quincy in the first place is because a well-known secondary character from Caddyshack was a semi-regular on Quincy. I bet you did not know that. Uh, the actor is Scott Columbia, best known for his uh, portrayal of the character Denunzio. <laughs> I ain't paying 50 cents for no coke. Also, Clue Gulliger and uh, Kelly Preston. Oh, man. Quincy was truly a who's who of uh, guest stars. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Amazing run for Mr. Klugman. Kudos to you. Klugman. Maybe that's why you, uh, because of the clug uh, and the, uh, the vowel and then the G, that's why you thought Klugman also starred in Skag. True, true. My mistake. But Skag starred the legendary Carl Malden. We should do a podcast on Carl Malden. <laughs> all the Malden. Yeah, all Malden. Oh, be, be almost as good as Nat from 90210. Foster Brooks. We were Quincy. <laughs> <laughs> Howard Hessman. Darn right. John Saxon. Yes. Oh, this man, is the greatest are, show of all time. We are diving deep into 70s. We're going to have to just watch Joan Van Ark, Donna Michi. Heck yes. We just have to watch all of Quincy, I guess. Uh, Make this podcast just watching Quincy. Want to change Jag Bags to watching Quincy? Yes. Uh, you know what I want to do is I want to thank everyone for tuning in tonight. Put a little Jag Bags in your ear. <laughs> We're taking the rest of the podcast off to watch Clue Gallagher. In Quincy. <laughs> Plus Ellen Travolta. <laughs> and Fernando Lamas. 
Oh man, this is this is unbelievable. What a treasure trove. Jessica Walter. The parties on Quincy must have been legendary. That's why everyone uh, signed up. It's unreal. For guest stars. You can't beat it. Klugman probably had access to the finest cocaine. <laughs> but all these stars are lining up for the chance. But what, Patrol. Ooh. But was Fred, Fred Grandy. Fred Grandy. Was, what about Fred Travelina? I was just about to ask about Fred Travelina. I have not seen Travelina yet. The show is false. I don't think <laughs> I don't think a show could handle Nat from 90210, Foster Brooks, and <laughs> That would be the finest show in the history of uh, of television. Nielsen would just be like, we give up. <laughs> just give all the Emmys to Quincy. <laughs> All the Nielsen ratings, all the Emmys. Everything to Quincy. Tonight, we'll also be talking MLB. We'll do our postmortem of the Cubs and Indians. And we will preview the White Sox playoff series, which kicks off Thursday night in Houston against the evil Astros. We'll also talk NFL. The Bears and Browns had a great Sunday. We'll go through Rolling Stone's top 500 albums and review certain albums so you don't have to listen to them. And finally, we have a section called I Recommend, where we recommend movies, books, television, music, all for your enjoyment. Uh, It can be a a present day or from the past. Um, So what a program and all the Quincy you can handle. We also have a fan letter with bracket ideas for Len's Facebook uh, in coming months. Um, I'm intrigued. Oh, let me tell you. Let's hope Facebook doesn't falter. Well, yeah, right. Facebook, we had a Facebook free day. We'll have to switch to Twitter where nobody responds to anything. No one responds to anything. Can I say real quick, can I say three more Quincy guests? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Nikki Cat of Dazed and Confused fame. Really? Yep. Hmm. Casey Kasem. <laughs> Creed Bratton. And oh, yeah. actually one more, Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis was on Quincy. Yep. Pre-Halloween. It was, let's see, what year was it? Jamie Lee was 1977. Yeah, so a year before Halloween came out. Because Halloween came out in 78, right? Yeah, so she must have been a, because she was a teenager when she made a real, uh, like a true teenager when she made Halloween. Um, Nobody was missing out on Quincy. If you knew what was good for your career, that was your foot in the door. Lined up. How many get in there? Launched. Maybe get a scene with Sam. You're in. <laughs> yeah, and first Emmys. It's no shock that all these people's careers exploded after being on Quincy. That's what uh, an episode uh, doing scenes with Ido and Klugman will uh, do for your career. Bruce White's from Hill Street Blues. Yeah, what was his character? He was the... Um, the guy would bark. He would bark like Blues. a dog, yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I wonder if Bruce White's uh, scenes with Val Bisoglio uh, <laughs> must have been just uh, acting gold. It was good prep, good prep. Yeah. He's like, if I'm going to go coach to go with Trevante. I'm going to use my Quincy training. <laughs> All my scenes with John S. Reagan will, <laughs> will not be in vain. 
Should we? Uh, should we get? Yeah, let's, go. The, uh, let's go. Let's get to. Uh, let's start with MLB. I have a question for you about the Cubs. All right, I'm ready. Did David Ross do a good job as manager? Yes. Let's talk about this. The because I watched a good amount of Cub games, even though they're they're bad most of the year, and I never watched the game and said, what is he doing? The only time I actually once I did, but it was my fault because he brought in a reliever who was terrible. But then I realized all of the relievers that were terrible. <laughs> who did he have to choose from? It, yeah. I'm like, cause it was, I think it was one of the Cardinals games before the, before they clinched a wild card and the Cubs were winning and he brought in one of their awful relievers. But then I was like, well, who else is he going to put in? He doesn't have anybody. We don't have a, they don't, they're using Wick as their closer. And even Wick, his ERA was over four. So it's not like he was good. Oh, they would. I remember them trotting out relievers uh, when I went to the game at Wrigley last week and they're bringing in all these relievers that bring them in. I'm like, every last ERA is over four. Well, Rucker and McGill, their areas, I think, were like seven and eight. And they pitched a lot. They pitched for like two months. Yeah. They, could, they couldn't get anybody out. McGill kind of reminded me of um, Dylan Maples, but even worse. Like, they got rid of Dylan Maples. I'm like, Dylan Maples is twice as good as this guy. Yeah, it's not. Uh... So, overall, you would give Ross a uh, more than a passing grade. Yeah, yeah. He's a good – I think he's a good manager. They took all his players away. They had a nice little and he, run. He also, he did things like he, he rested half when half was struggling. Yeah. When he didn't have a choice, then he put half back in. So he wasn't playing. He didn't play favorites. These guys he knew from playing with them. I thought he made good decisions considering. So you'd bring him back. I'd say the main, the main thing for next year. What? You'd bring him back for next year. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I think next year, what they need is for free agency. This is where you go, okay, are they really telling the truth? Is Jed Hoyer telling the truth? Are they going to sign some guys? They need all the pitching, and they need all the outfielders. Yeah. We might have stumbled upon an infield, luckily, because you have Schwindel, Madrigal, Horner, and Wisdom. Plus, you could have Duffy play somewhere, too, because Duffy Duffy was really good. He ended up, I think he ended up at, like, 287 because mm-hmm. he, he was hitting, and then he got hurt. His back was messed up, and then he came back, and it seemed like he was still not 100%. But the last month or so, he's been really good. I think wisdom strikes out too much. I agree with you on all those others, but wisdom I don't better. care if he strikes out, if he hits, if he hits 40 homers and – Strikes out a lot. I don't care. Maybe he really because he's above average defensively too. Yeah. If you if you strike out all the time and aren't good on defense, sure. Even if you hit the homers, but he he's in a plus in the field too. What about Javi Baez? If you had the chance to bring him back, that's a tough one because I love Baez. I want my name coming back just for entertainment value. He's sure. gonna he's gonna give you something almost every game, anyways. And he actually finished up the year really well. Yeah. I think he ended up hitting in the 260s, which for him is really good. And he always hits homers, and he's always great on defense. But then I guess you'd have to put Horner on the bench. Yeah. 
But Horner, you don't know if he's going to stay healthy. He hasn't shown he can stay healthy yet. Or trade him for uh, a great pitcher. Yeah. Or an outfielder. We probably have the worst outfield in baseball. Uh, I don't know. The Indians uh, would like to have a word with you. <laughs> I'm sorry. The Guardians. It's official. So what it are is. the Guardians going to do? Uh, the Guardians also need an outfield. Uh, they need a center fielder. And uh, I think they're going to need uh, a catcher. Um, and I think their bullpen needs to be restocked. Um, and they've got to figure out uh, what they have in all these prospects, which what the year was uh, ostensibly about. And I don't think we're closer to finding out who's going to stay and who's going to go. But I think they have keepers in Rosario. I really liked Ahmed Rosario. That's who they got for Lindor. He had a good year. Um, Quantrill, whom they got for uh, Clevenger, he started out the year in the bullpen. They had to move him to the rotation when everyone got hurt. He was great. I mean, great. Uh, one of the best pitchers in the, the American League down the stretch. Emmanuel Clase was outstanding all year long as a closer. So, and then uh, Re uh, Reyes, Fran Mill Reyes, I mean, if he had stayed healthy, he'd have hit 40 home runs. Yeah, so, you're a big fan of his. I like him. I wasn't, I wasn't a fan when they made the deal. Cause I was like, who's this, why did we get a six, seven bodybuilder who <laughs> the bat looks like a toothpick in his hands and looks this guy looks like he strikes out all the time. And, but no, I'm i I'm i I'm a convert. So uh, hopefully the pitching staff can stay healthy and because the tigers are going to be really good and the white Sox are going nowhere. They're going to be really good for, I feel like a long time. Yeah, the Tigers really picked it up in the second half. They did. They did. Uh, speaking of the White Sox, their playoffs, game one of the ALCS kicks off on Thursday in Houston against the Evil Astros. Two things. One, as of a couple hours ago, uh, the Sox said they are still not decided who will start game one. It's coming down to Giolito or Lynn. Yeah, that's a good choice. Either one's a good choice. I'm, I would go with Lynn just for the experience. Me too. I think they're a little worried about Lynn's because he was injured recently. So that's why I think there, there wouldn't have been a debate if Lynn wasn't on a disabled list in September. And Giolito, Giolito's pitched really well. And he pitched well last year against the A's. So... But either way, they're both game one and game two. It's tough that uh, they have to, you know, play those uh, first two games uh, on the road in in that Minute Maid Park. I hate that park. It's such a home field advantage. That's um, yeah. But, they're going to have to steal one there. Yeah. And they're very evenly matched up. I was looking at the, the Astros. They don't have great pitching. The Sox pitching is probably better, but it's like, can these guys who got injured recently, if they can perform like they did before they were hurt, Rodan and Lynn, then I think the Sox actually do have the advantage pitching-wise. And But both teams, their lineups are loaded. It's going to be tough holding them down. So I think whatever, whatever team gets a little bit better pitching, that they're going to win. I think there's going to be a lot of – 
six to five games and, and things like that. I think, I think it's going to be a really close series. I do too. They're because both. I, I don't, I'm not afraid of any of the Astros starting pitchers. No, the Sox and the Sox lineup is tough. And especially with Luis Robert um, hitting, the, I mean, he, he was on fire in September. Couldn't be stopped. So that's a whole. And their they're two biggest, I think their two biggest clutch guys are Anderson and Abreu. Yeah. They seem to rise to the occasion, and there's nothing bigger than this. Yeah. So that's another point in the Sox favor. Yeah. Because initially I was like, I don't know, the Astros, but now I'm, I'm think the, I think the Astros, I mean, uh, I think the White Sox could. Finally, uh, it's not lost. I hope it's not lost on baseball fans that this is yet another delicious confrontation between Dusty Baker and Tony La Russa. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> I totally want a beanball war where La Russa and uh, Dusty run out when they're walkers and canes and uh, try to strike each other with uh, uh, their various uh, uh, senior uh, accoutrements. But that's uh, that's special and uh, wouldn't want it any other way. Those guys have been going at each other for like forty years. Yep. So yeah, there's some good there's some good matchups in the playoffs. It's going to be entertaining. What do you think? Who do you think is going to win? Well. I think the Rays are too strong. I just think. No, I'm talking about just this series. Oh, I think the Sox can win. I do. Okay, good. So Bruce has turned off his fax machine then. Uh, Bruce uh, has put down the uh, the uh, the stun gun that he's jammed into my ribs. He's here next. <laughs> he's uh, he's removed it. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be the Sox. I think the I say the Yankees beat Boston. And then lose to Tampa, and it'll be a Sox Tampa ALCS. This is an ALDS, excuse me, which kicks off on Thursday. How did the How do the Red Sox not have? They don't have any pitchers either. I think that's the best they can do in a do or die playoff game. Is this Avaldi guy? Yeah, I mean he's decent, but he's not. He's not going to shut the Yankees down. Yeah, that lineup. I I was disappointed to see that. I didn't see. Is it going to be at Fenway or is it in New York? It's at Fenway, so that's good. But I don't know. I don't. I don't think that guy is going to hold the Yankees down. Unfortunately, I would love to be wrong. Yeah, I think if if you're at home, major advantage Red Sox, major advantage. But the Yankees have Cole pitching, who's a lot better than their guy. Cole. Uh, in one game playoffs, as you well know, is far from invincible. Well, and my staff and I did some research today, and the Red Sox have hit him pretty well. So it could be another crazy game. It could be just a, another one of those crazy Red Sox Yankees games. I hope so. Like 10 to 9. It'd be nice, you know, Red Sox hit like a three run homer to win it off Chapman. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to see that. I'll be, I'll be nervous to watch that game and also be nervous to watch Cardinals and the Dodgers. Oh, our, uh, our friend of the podcast, Kevin Stern, I think I said this last week, but he is in full on panic. About 106 wins. Yep. It comes down to one year. 
one game and you're going up against Wainwright, who's had a really good year. I mean, Scherzer has been amazing. Scherzer might have been the best pitcher in that all. But one game, who knows? And and Muncie got hurt. Right. I don't think Muncie's going to play. So they lose one of the bat, their bats. And Bellinger has been awful this year. So they're going to have to find a way to get some runs. And uh, I think Scherzer will pitch well. But you got to at least, you know, scrape a few together. And I don't think they're the Dodgers bullpens lights out. And the Cardinal, I mean, the Cardinal, you got to have insane confidence when you win as many games as the Cardinals have lately. You're not going to be afraid of anybody. So again, that's another one I'm going to be nervous watching because I want, I would, I want to see the Cardinals lose like 15 to nothing. And all of their players retire after the game. <laughs> and, then the, and then the franchise just quit. <laughs> and the franchise just baseball. Yes. I don't ask for much. Just that. that Lose that 15 and nothing. Everyone retire. Franchise just These are uh, These are realistic uh, goals. <laughs> Love yes. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Who do you think uh, wins that game? I think the Dodgers win. You're right, Michael. I think the Dodgers are too strong. I think that a long winning streak late in the season is no guarantee of postseason success. Um, especially the Cardinals were a 500 team. Those that, that team was scuffling, and they go on a 17 game you know win streak, and uh, you know, but they still at heart are a 500 ball club. And uh, there's no way they're as good as the Dodgers. Even with a 17-game winning streak, I think they finished, like, what, 16 games behind the Dodgers if they were both in the same division? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not in the Dodgers class. But the, but the nerves will come into it. Way, we talked about that last week, too. Way more pressure on the Dodgers than the Cardinals. True. The Cardinals are lucky to get in. They'll be playing free and easy. And the Dodgers, one of the best seasons in history, and they are a wild card team. Definitely. So pressure's on them. Like, yeah. if they don't get to winning right early, they're going to get nervous. That's what I'm worried about. The Dodgers, maybe the, the Dodgers. Other series. Uh, oh, but, I was going to say, maybe the Dodgers have broken through. They are defending champs. And sometimes, you know, that that monkey's off their back and they know they can do it as opposed to. Yeah, that's, that's true. I, I would agree with you had the Dodgers lost the series last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they uh, are they're full of confidence. And uh, they know what to do. Plus, Scherzer is how many huge games has Max uh, Scherzer pitched in? I mean, that, that guy's a big game pitcher. Uh, all the way. So he yep. will, I mean, he's more than Wainwright's equal. Yeah. I mean, he, he was probably the best pitcher in the NL this year. So. Yeah. But it's the Cardinals. So I just want the Dodgers to get them out. Yeah. And then lose 15 to nothing. And then, the, and then quit. <laughs> Retire, disband. <laughs> I think these are realistic. <laughs> I 
the Braves and the Brewers? Uh, I'm going to go with the Brewers. Easy. I think possible sweep. Yeah. The Brewers pitching has been the best in baseball. Yeah, Brewers are a tough out. So, and the Braves, they have a couple guys, but I don't think they're going to do anything against the Brewers. They have Freeman and a couple other good hitters, but that lineup doesn't run deep. And they don't have the, the Brewers don't have a great hitting team, but they're not going to have to score that much. And the right. Brewers have guys who can hit homers. So all the Brewers are going to have to do is hit a couple of homers each game. And, you know, they could win three to nothing every game. Yeah. What about uh, Dodgers? Should the Dodgers win and it's Dodgers Giants? <laughs> That'll be a great series. I hope that's what happens. Yeah. They were separated by one game in the standings, and then they play in a playoff series. That'd be that'd be great to watch. It would be. I think the Dodgers. If it's Dodgers Giants, I think the Dodgers have more experience, and I think they win. I'm rooting for Giants. I'm rooting for Bryant. Absolutely. Yeah, Giants. Chris Bryant. So you got ex Cubs. You got Chorber. Red Sox, you got Chris Bryant, uh, Rizzo. So three of them, three of them made the playoffs. I is the only one sitting out, and the guys got traded. Well, Schwarber was the year before, but so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun watching it. Well, I won't I won't say it's fun until the Red Sox and the and not the Red Sox, the Yankees and the Cardinals lose. The Yankees and the Cardinals lose. Oh, fun watching the playoffs. <laughs> We are not rooting for a Cardinals-Yankees World Series. No. We will definitely only talk about Quincy if that's what happens. <laughs> Quincy has just captured your imagination like no other. <laughs> so let's, let's move on to football. Let's do it. Uh, yes, the NFL, uh, the Bears coming back, looking good. Um, but you know what? Nagy is an ass. Yes. He, he is a buffoon and he is an ass. Did you, and this is why I say this, did you, <laughs> God, did you see the, uh, the press conference after the game? No, but I read it. I read all the quotes. About Bill he's basically Lynch. saying, but I'm the coach, but I'm the, he's trying to take credit. What an ass. Listen, Mr. Nagy, I know you listen to Jagbacks. <laughs> so this is a direct message to you. A lot of coaches, including coaches like Bill Belichick, let their offensive coordinators call the plays, give them full credit. And guess what? They are regarded as good coaches. This thing you're doing about credit is weird. And it makes you look like a buffoon, a charlatan, and an ass. I am done. God. But the guy, a guy in the, who writes for Sun Times made a good point. When Nagy signed with the Bears, it's because they thought he was an offensive genius. <laughs> so him giving up the reins has got to hurt. Sure. So I get it. I mean, we don't agree with it, but we get it. 
But the offense, it was a perfect mix yesterday. All Nagy has to do, it was. I mean, the run game was great. Fields looked like a tremendous uh, prospect. Um, one is only going to get better. That throw to Mooney was fantastic. You must have fallen great. off the chair with joy. Two great passes. Yeah. Well, I was, I was <laughs> telling people at basketball last night, I said, we completed a bomb for the first time in 20 years. <laughs> the one to Mooney, and then he threw that pass to Robinson on the sideline where only Robinson could catch it. That was a deep ball, too. Spectacular throw. And yeah, he looked really good. And I was talking to Kevin about it. And to me, the two things that he has to work on, and it's not, it's not a criticism. He's, he's a rookie is he'll have to learn how to read the defense. Cause that's how balls get tipped is when you don't see a guy. Right. Or when you throw picks and that was his one pass was uh, that got, was it, I don't know. Was it intercepted or was it just knocked away? But anyways, and the um, pocket presence, which was better yesterday, but like against the Browns, he he just he was not moving where he should. It wasn't all his fault, but that's something I think you learn the more you play too. Sure. Like okay, when do I? Even a guy like Goff, who might not be the best quarterback, he knows how to do that. He was doing that yesterday. Yeah, he would step up, and the Bears would when the Bears were pushing in, and he he was able to complete passes by doing that. That's the type of stuff that. I think field, I have confidence Fields will learn it because he seems like a guy who's going to put the work in and get better every week. And obviously the talent's there. He also ran for a first down. You saw his speed. It was amazing. He like got around the corner and just, sorry, I'm getting this first down. No one's going to get me. Yeah. So he's a, he's a huge weapon. And it's, it's just the experience thing. I think, uh, of course, Red Rifle will start next week, so he'll be back on the bench learning from the master. And you have to – I mean, I know they said Laser probably called the offense, but come on. We know who was calling the plays. This is all – listen, Matt Nagy is playing three-dimensional chess in ways that you and I cannot possibly understand. No, not Nagy. Red Rifle was oh. behind well, it. Well, Nagy will say, oh, I, I, <laughs> I see. So Nagy is even just a puppet for the genius of Red Rifle. Right. Which you can see in your latest 18-hour podcast on Andy Dalton called Red Rifling. Red Rifling it. Available on all podcasting platforms. America's number one Andy Dalton podcast. Sponsored by Hormel's Chili. When oh, you're yeah. looking to Red Your Rifle. Enjoy some Hormel's chili. <laughs> Riffin on the rifle with Hormel. A really good one this week. A real celebratory one. <laughs> That's going to be must hear. For you, Brown's defense. You have to be super excited. Oh, outstanding. They, your cousins uh, took the ball. They marched the Vikings down the field. They scored. And after that, nothing, nothing. That Browns defense absolutely turned it up. And yeah, so uh, that's actually kind of a relief for the Bears too, because the Vikings have some weapons. They have some Thielen's a good receiver. Uh, who's the other guy? Jefferson. Is that his name? Jefferson. Dalvin Cook's a really good running back. Yeah, he got he got hurt. I think he 
he played, but then he got hurt. But he's yeah, but they held him down before he got hurt. Yeah. So maybe that's what happened with the Bears. The Browns have just got a really good defense. I feel like when I was watching the Bears do so well, I was like, wow, that Browns defense really like came to play against the Bears. So um, it, you know, it might have been, and I, I I think I said that last week in the podcast. I said I don't think it's anything that Bears fans have to be too worried about. I think just the Browns defense was just lights out and they were lights out again, uh, which is great because, you know, Mayfield, the Baker haters are out in force today because Mayfield was awful. Yeah. That was my next question for you. I know I didn't watch the game, but I saw his stats. He didn't even complete half of his passes. Some of his throws were positively Trubisky-esque. Oh, wow. um, That's yeah. not good. Not good. Um, you think that's a lot because Landry's not playing? I have a few theories. I'll share them. One is, you know, he is hurt. And maybe, you know, that he hurt his shoulder against uh, um, Houston. And he hasn't been right. I mean, the Bears bothered him. And uh, and that offensive line is not right. Jedrick Wills Jr. keeps uh, having to come out. Uh, he has a he has a bum ankle. And uh, they, they need him on that line. Um, so, so the offensive line isn't exactly right. His sh- left, sh- it's not it's his non-throwing shoulder, but that's not exactly right. And I tell you what, when OBJ is not in the lineup, Mayfield is a different quarterback than when he is in. Mayfield's, if you look at all of Mayfield's lousy games, it's with OBJ. I don't know what it is. It's, I don't know whether he's like trying too hard. They work on roots all the time. There's one terrible um, incompletion in particular. It was a, uh, it was kind of like a go route and he threw it like he threw it like 10 yards, like in front of him, like OBJ was like breaking. He was, it was with a minute left in the game that would have salted it away. And OBJ yeah. is like, he got 10 yards of separate, not 10 yards, but maybe like five. He was, wide open and it's like he threw it to the defensive back Mayfield and so they asked him about it and Mayfield said it's totally my fault so stand up guy for doing that mm-hmm. um, you know unlike Cutler who would have thrown <laughs> OBJ under the bus in a New York minute uh, Cutler, would, Cutler would drop a napkin in an Arby's and blame somebody else yeah you're right so <laughs> And he, but he said worst. that, but Mayfield said he thought he they had figured it out that on that kind of route, um, OBJ would come back for the ball, and so he he purposely meant to throw it, thinking OBJ was going to come back and break for the ball. And mm-hmm. I'm like, aren't you looking at the situation when you? Well, I'm not an NFL quarterback, um, but I I don't know. I mean, when OBJ gets hurt and then he's got to spread it around, it's like and he doesn't have to worry about keeping the big dog happy, he's better. Um, I just, it just Maybe it'll get better as the year goes on, though, just from yeah. playing with him more. It might just be that. Could be. But I, the stats don't lie. Mayfield with OBJ in the lineup, Mayfield without. Mm-hmm. Stats without are he's, – he's great without him. Anyway, so uh, I don't know. We're who, stuck do Browns, who do Browns play next? The Chargers in L.A. Yeah, Chargers look good. That's going to be a tough game. 
But the Browns are they three and one now? Three and one. Yeah. So and what's nice though is the Steelers are looking like they're not going to be good. So that'll very help. nice. But the I Bengals am... might be good. What do you think of the Bengals? They should have lost that Jacksonville game and they came back and won it. So that's usually the sign of a good quarterback, too. I really like Burrow. And so he's he might be a dangerous guy. I definitely think he's a dangerous guy. I don't think the Bengals will be a power this year, but maybe next year. Because right. if you have that quarterback, that's that's one of the hardest things to get is a really good quarterback. They've got to get an offensive line for yeah. him. So the Bengals won't be an easy team to beat. And the Ravens seem to be pretty good too. So that'll be the battle for the Browns. Right. Yeah, the Steelers did not look good. Um, they have so many injuries on the defensive line. And that offensive line is horrific. So against that Browns pass rush, ooh, that could be rough. Um, yeah, so what's good is if your defense is that great, then occasional Mayfield bad game is not going to hurt you. We've seen it. With you, you, have, you actually, you know what you guys have now? You guys have like a classic Bears good team. I was just about to say, like that's a classic Bears recipe for victory where – you have, a, you have a kick-ass defense. And uh, yep. one thing yeah. that the Bears – And strong play, running game. And a strong running game. The one thing that the, those old Bears defenses had that these Browns do not yet have is the ability to force turnovers and sometimes score. Sometimes those, the, the Bears defense, they, 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 you could almost count on them to get a touchdown. That's how great they were. So the Browns are not – to that quality yet, but yeah, if you have a defense that's given up, you know, you know, they gave up six points to the bears and then now seven points to the Vikings. That makes football a whole lot easier. Single digits, two weeks in a row against any team is incredible. And Garrett, he's got to be defensive player of the year right now. He's on, he's unbelievable. I'm very happy just for his health because he was wrecking defenses last year. Then he got COVID and he came back and he was not the same. And I was thinking, oh, no, he's got one of these long COVID, you know, cases. And, you know, I hope it's not permanent. It doesn't seem to be. Yeah. So that's good. What are you drinking there, Len? What is that? Was that like a sport? Uh, is that a super pib? Oh, <laughs> Arizona, I if it was a super pib, my smile would be. Lighting up the room like Nat from 90210. Even more than it already does. Oh, <laughs> uh, should we? Uh... And, well, one more thing about the NFL. My Chiefs bounced oh, back, so that yeah. was nice. Mahomes looked great. Five TDs. They needed that one. Yeah. They're in yeah. a tough division, though, with the Raiders and Chargers looking good. And Denver. Denver finally lost. <laughs> so... The Chiefs got a hole to dig out of. At least they got – I mean, if they if they couldn't beat the Eagles, they'd be like, oh, they're done. But they took care of business. I was reading today about controversy in Denver. They played Baltimore, and uh, the Ravens, like, dominated them from start to finish. Um, it was 23-7. to seven. There's, like, three seconds left in the game, and the Ravens have the ball. 
But instead of kneeling down, the Ravens needed five more yards to continue their streak, which is the most in NFL history of having a hundred yards rushing in a game. So instead of kneeling down, Jackson like just ran around and ran for five. He ran for like four or five yards and he slid. And, uh, and the Broncos coach Vic Fangio went ballistic. I went too. I think that's idiotic. Went absolutely nuts. Um, and, uh, said that, uh, Basically just said the Harbaugh's don't care about player safety. He, he brought John Harbaugh's brother into it. <laughs> the, Fangio went off. Great press conference. I would have been mad too. Yeah. And if you're a Ravens fan, what if Jackson gets hurt in that play? Exactly. When it should have been a nail down just so you could get some dumb record that nobody's going to care about. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's really dumb. I'm yep. with you, Fangio. Of course, the oh, Ravens. Please teach Eddie Jackson how to play again. <laughs> um, that's all I have. Who do the Bears have next week? Raiders. Oh. In in Vegas, I think so. They better not have a the defense had another breakdown where they got let somebody wide open. The Lions got a touchdown because guys were looking at each other like you were supposed to cover him. So if they do that against the Raiders, they're going to get blown out. Yeah, I haven't so watched. Hopefully they, hopefully they figure that out. I don't know if that's the new defensive coordinator or if it's just bad. A bad secondary. Players, you know, I guess we'll, we'll find out as the year goes on because they can't keep doing that. Because the, the Packers will score seventy points against us, and so will Tampa Bay. And that's who we play after the Raiders. Whew. The Chargers are up 7-0 on Vegas with six minutes to go in the first half. Um, anything else on NFL? No, you can move on to I recommend. All right. Do you want it? You want you do do you want to go, go first? You can go. I uncovered a a treasure of a movie that I completely forgot about. And uh, uh, and found it on Hulu. I was looking for like through this. I it's completely miscategorized because I found it under Huluween for like scary movies. Mm-hmm. This is not well. It's scary, but it's more of a thriller. The nineteen seventy, I think it's seventy seven or seventy six, Black Sunday, starring Robert Shaw, Bruce Dern. William Daniels uh, about the terrorist attack on the Super Bowl. They fly the Goodyear blimp over. Yes, <laughs> blimp. Uh, I forgot how <laughs> good, directed by John Frankenheimer. Shaw is classic Shaw. And Bruce, <laughs> and Bruce Dern is classic Dern. He is Derning it to the, to the max. He's crazy. And uh, William Daniels is the nerdy government agent who tries to reach him. Shaw's playing a Russian. And uh, he's like part of the government's rogue operation trying to stop Bruce Dern and the sultry Martha Keller, the femme fatale. I was like, this movie rules. I'd have to see it. I've never seen it. Oh, really? John 
John Frankenheimer. I didn't I didn't know uh, Frankenheimer uh, directed it, and I love John Frankenheimer movies. And I remember it as a kid, like like watching the trailers for it, you know, because it would be on TV, and I was thinking that movie is terrifying. Yeah, I remember that too. I remember that thinking the same thing. Um, and uh, so it's interesting that it was under like scary movies for Halloween, because mm-hmm. uh, of course now in the set in the seventies it's more it's not laughable it's just like it's a good action flick, and um, but anyway, uh, the, I recommend it. It was hugely enjoyable. My I recommend is a documentary I watched a couple weeks ago with Laura called The Booksellers Ooh. about rare booksellers. Nice. Yeah, it was really interesting. And it's not something I do because rare, rare books are for people who are buying it as just an object. Like my books, I buy them to read. And if I really like a book, I'll keep it. But these are people that are buying, spending crazy amounts for a rare book. Yeah. And just the process of how they do this. And they're worried about the future of the business because they don't know if there's going to be enough people that are going to want these rare books. Like, is this going to continue to be a viable business? So a lot of it's about, about that and what kind of person, I mean, the auction for some of these books, just, Oh my God, I'm going to spend that much money on 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 a book. So it was, yeah, it was really fascinating. It's Fran Leibowitz is one of the people who comments and she's pretty funny talking about it. Awesome. And it's on Amazon Prime. I really liked it. The booksellers? The booksellers, yeah. Came out, I think, last year. Awesome. I'll definitely check it out. I love a good documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll definitely like it. Cool. Amazon Prime. Okay about Rolling Stone Top 500? I am ready with my uh, uh, subversive uh, uh, (coughs) uh, deconstruction of uh, (laughs) a so-called Top 500 album. Wow, uh, you really are. You're really in Lester Bangs mode. Oh, you know, people who know me the first word that comes to mind is subversive, or Bangsian. Well, they do they they do say Bangsian. So I'm I'm very uh, Bohemian and uh, William S. Burroughs like in my uh, such a Bohemian. Very much so. Look Wearing at my, your polo shirt. My polo shirt and watch. Symbol of Bohemia. What they wear in the village. Uh, you want me to go first? Good. So uh, my album is 426, Lucinda Williams and her 1988 self-titled album called Lucinda Williams. And uh, yeah, this Lucinda Williams is another one that seemingly only Rolling Stone likes. No, I like her, but I knew this was coming because I know you don't like her. I gave this album a chance. I really did. And the only, the, the one album that I... And it's her big one is that car on a gravel road or car. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> that album I listened to a lot because I was like, well, I'm just must not be getting it. 
Um, and I, at the end, I was just like, all these songs sound the same. And it's just kind of like, there's nothing special. And uh, so this album is the album that really made her famous. And Rolling Stone and most music critics. I don't know about famous, famous, though. I, I think the average person doesn't know who Lucinda Williams is. She's like XRT famous. She is XRT famous. Well, just famous among all the nerd music. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, the Bohemians like you. Yes. Who sit down and listen to their vinyl albums wearing their polo shirts. You know what, Len? I really, uh, you know, as a Bohemian who loves jazz, <laughs> I feel that I'm ready to uh, establish my jazz credentials much more on uh, on jag bags. And uh, I got a uh, fan letter encouraging me, encouraging me to do just that. But we'll save that for the second half of, of, of the podcast. Uh, my fan letter. Um, I was going to say that jazz should just add another Z to the end of the uh, word. <laughs> oh, as in like, as in like snoring, as in like Snoopy when he lies on top of his uh, house with the Z's above it. You know, I'm used to your slings and arrows. Used to your serpent tongue, just uh, puncturing me with your your cruel wit and uh but i will be fearlessly bringing jazz into jag bags much more often um you are forewarned not now though to now now we'll talk about lucinda williams uh and how i think this album should not be in the top 500 i think it i think it just sounds the same and there's no real bite to any of these songs um, I respect that she writes her own songs, but I'm going to tell you who is a, if I did a picket of songwriting ability between Lucinda Williams and Taylor Swift, I'm picking Taylor Swift. Okay. That's how, that's how I feel. Okay. Oh, I see the look. I see the look as you just smugly sip your Arizona iced tea. Look at that. Oh. Oh, the Arnold Palmer autograph. <laughs> also a sponsor of Red Rifle in it. Arnold Palmer. When you are reaching, <laughs> when you have a weapons like thirst, reach for Andy Dalton's favorite, Arizona iced tea. Oh, I'm sorry, Arnold Palmer light, half and half iced tea lemonade. Sorry. Sorry, Red Rifle. Sorry, Red Rifle. I love I missed that one. Maybe, uh, maybe you could speak to Regency about maybe getting these deals for Jag Bags. Uh, I've been talking to him about commercials for Matt Bags and Markham Bags. This is so hurtful and <laughs> uncalled for. And uh, But my bracket ideas that I received from a fan I think will really spice up the show. You don't want to talk about them now? You want to talk about them later? I got a fan letter uh, uh, from a um, from a longtime uh, Jag Bags listener. He is from uh, Ghana. Ghana. Mm. And um, his uh, his name is uh, Umbutu. And uh, Umbutu. Hello, Umbutu. Umbutu. Thank you for listening. He says, I really enjoy... Uh, 
Jag Bags. The bracket-based uh, episodes are my favorite. And I thought you might like to hear my uh, suggestions for brackets for future episodes. In particular, I listened to a lot of talk of 38 Special, but no action on this. I think 38 Special rocks, and a bracket of their songs would make for compelling podcast listening. In addition to 38 Special, I have other suggestions. Uh, they are as follows. Great Inventions of the 20th Century. Of course, you and the inventions. Do uh, your own bracket. Best, this is Mbutu who... Uh, I'll tell Mbutu that you will do a bracket for him on Great Inventions. Of the you 20th. share a passion for great thinkers of science. I already think Mbutu is a great man and a, <laughs> uh, and a visionary for what podcasts can and, and Facebook brackets can look like. Uh, all-time Detroit Lions. Uh, I am an NFL. Dexter, Dexter Bussy would win that. I don't know. I mean, Bussy. Uh, Eric Hipple might uh, provide serious competition. Probably the final. Bussy Hipple. Greg Landry. Uh, He's a four seed. <laughs> uh, best Not a bad suggestion, Mbuto. <laughs> uh, best Herman Moore. Herman Moore, yep. Spielman. Oh, so many to choose from. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Sanders. (laughs) (laughs) Who? Never heard of him. Oh, that guy. Uh, Best uh, countertop materials. Uh, Granite, wood, uh, laminate, quartz. This would be exciting and could open up a whole new audience for you. Uh, Duke Ellington albums. He had four different eras. This could be a 96-song bracket. His career lasted for 50 years. Take your head out of your hands <laughs> and open your mind. I'm listening with an open mind, Umbuto. Uh, best episodes of That's Incredible. Um, although we could replace that with Quincy. Um, I'm in if it's Quincy. I know. Uh, See, so, you know, he provides Ubuntu provides the spark, and then we take it from there. So I could get behind a Quincy bracket. Yeah. Uh, lighthouses of the American East Coast. Uh, you probably didn't know that the East Coast is dotted with several signature lighthouses of varying architectural forms, painting, and influence on uh, nearby architecture. This could make for one of the most uh, eclectic and exciting brackets yet. <clears throat> Fritz Weaver movies. Uh, <laughs> Fritz Weaver movies. That's fantastic. Holocaust. And the list goes on and on of the Weaver. And his uh, impact on American culture is undeniable. Uh Here's where I get a little spicy. Sexiest Dr. Ruth suggestions. Ooh. (laughs) He wrote out the word, ooh. 96 uh, suggestions for great romance. Think of the new audience your podcast will pull in. Uh, And then finally, goriest Civil War kills. Now, he said that I know what you're thinking. 
but tragedy plus time equals comedy. Just think about it. I am a fan of yours for life. Yours from Ghana, Mbutu. Mbutu, thank you for this fantastic list. Um, and uh, we will uh, bring up your suggestions at the next writer's meeting, despite Len's shaking of the head. But when he's off doing Markham bags, <laughs> talking about Bernie Sanders, uh, what a jaggy is, we'll move in with our countertop materials bracket. Thank you, Mbuto. Thank you for listening. And I will get to work on the lion's bracket soon. <laughs> that seemed to be your favorite one. Yes, that one. Yes. Uh, be good. Well, uh, we, we, maybe we should re, uh, revisit 38 special. You keep promising. And uh, thank you for your tips, Mbuto. Now I will talk about my two Rolling Stone albums I listened to. Okay, here we go. Nearly done. Number 451, Roberta Flack. Mm. First take. And I remember Roberta Flack growing up because I looked her up today because I always thought she won all the awards. She's won six Grammys. Yeah. For this album, first time ever I saw your face won record of the year. Yeah. In the same year, she also won, I think, best duet for Where is the Love? So she did win a good amount of awards. Oh, but you hear a song like First Time Ever I Saw Your Face, and you're not gonna think this album is gonna be you think it's gonna be more of a adult contemporary type, but it's not really. It's more longer songs and yeah, it's more and she's got a really good voice, so it's almost there's there's a lot to it. Agreed. So I, I, I liked it. I'd go back to it. It's but almost, dare I say, and I know that I was talking, uh, you know, a lot of uh, smack about jazz, but do you, there, being serious, there are a lot of jazz influences in that. Yeah, opinion. they they, they right. say that. Yes, yes, but it, it's a good one. And she always, not only just was she a Grammy winner, but I felt like the critics always really liked her too. So absolutely, I'm actually a little surprised it's this low, 451. So I barely made the list. Yeah, I, I I would rank it higher myself. Yeah. So okay, so that one's deserved. The next one, also a little bit surprised that they picked this one is Ask Rufus, because it's not one with any of their well-known songs, Rufus and Chaka Khan. Yeah. And I remember I liking it. I remember liking it when uh, I listened to it. And uh, I'm not sure if I would put it top 500, but I definitely liked it. Definitely liked it. Yeah, I feel like there's a better album of theirs to put on there instead of this one. I mean, I liked it, but I think they should have picked a different one. Yeah. They might and, so that's, I'm nearly done. If all things work out, I'll be done next week. I only have a few left. I have like maybe three or four. And I'll do my percentages. Mm. We'll rank the top 500 percentage-wise, at least my rankings. And then we'll move on to my top 500. Very good. So you will, 
you know, I was thinking like we would like whatever albums I was thinking because I've been keeping score of albums that I think belong and albums that I think do not. Then I'm like, okay, so the albums that I don't think belong, what would I replace them with? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's good. That'd be a good thing to do. Yeah. Do while well, I'm doing my top 500. If there, you know, would be a good thing for. Okay, so if you listen to one, I know your work, legendary work ethic, where you listen to one a week. If you don't like it, pick a B favorite that you think should be in the top five. Uh, you know, that could, that could be an ongoing thing. I'll take that under advisement and take that with uh, my staff. Let me contact one of our fans in Ghana. Maybe if they send you a letter, you take this request seriously. Mbutu, if you are listening, please send me your thoughts on this suggestion (laughs) as I no longer know what's good anymore. (laughs) You know what you're thinking. It's too much work. I have to listen to one and pick one. <laughs> I'm just a man. Oh, I am. Uh, I know you're jealous of my submarine style uh, reviews where I get to the meat of the record and really expose the artist's intentions and bring them to you, the Jagbags listeners. Unlike the superficial drive-bys that- <laughs> Pass for your reviews. <laughs> Anyways, it's time to move on to the main subject. Let's do it. Uh, Caddyshack. Probably, is there a more quotable movie than Caddyshack directed by Harold Ramis? Uh, released in 1980. Starring Chevy Chase, Ted Knight, Rodney Dangerfield, and Bill Murray. And a cast of stellar character actors whose work we'll get into plucked from the casts of Quincy and other (laughs) uh, 70s television shows. Uh, uh, The movie is about, unless if, if you've been living under a rock and have no idea what the movie is about, it's about the goings on at Bushwood Country Club and the uh, dim-witted members and the caddies who make up uh, um, uh, the, uh, the bulk of the plot and their interactions. Um, and it's all centered around a, uh, a golf tournament, um, which uh, the movie uh, you know, kind of circles around, coalesces around, and that kind of gives the movie its uh, ending arc. Um, and... Uh, the movie did not do very well at the box office. It got okay reviews, but you know, kind of lagged behind other uh, comedy perf- uh, movies of the time. And uh, but over the years, has just become a a real fan favorite. Um, and it stars, or one of the stars, Cindy Morgan, who plays Lacey Underalls. Lacey's in from New York to spend the summer with us. Yeah. Uh, Add Ted Knight to Beeves. <laughs> Amazing celebrity invitations. Get dressed today, Spalding. You're playing golf. <laughs> uh, but uh, Cindy Morgan uh, describes Caddyshack as a cult classic. And we were talking about this before the show, and I don't think that's true. I don't 
consider it a cult classic. I think no. it's very mainstream. And mm-hmm. I think it made the careers of a lot of, I, I think it made uh, Bill Murray's film career, even though he, I mean, I think he was already a star, but I mean, this really, you know, cemented it from there. I think he went on to do Stripes. Um, yeah, Stripes was the 82, I think. Yeah. And, um, and Kay, I, I just pulled it up. Caddyshack was the 17th highest box office movie of the year. That's pretty good. Very good. But, uh, you know, not number one. And I think there were other comedies ahead of it, weren't there? I'll, I'll check. You continue to talk and I will check. No. Anyway, um, we talked about some of the uh, perform. All, all the performances are great um, in that movie. And we talked about the four main stars, um, Rodney Dangerfield as Al Chervik, hilarious. Uh, Chevy Chase as Ty Webb, the uh, eccentric, uh, wealthy um, playboy who doesn't seem to have a job but has tons of money. Um, Ted Knight as Judge Smales, the, uh, the, one of the all-time great comedy villains. And, uh, and then finally, Bill Murray as Carl Spackler, the deranged uh, army vet. Uh, <laughs> um, and if I had to rank, their, I love all four. And one of the things we talked about is if you had to rank them from favorite, from one to four, how would you rank them? And this was tough. I, you know, actually, number one for me was easy. Personally, that was Ted Knight. He was my favorite. Um, and. Uh, because, and the reason why he's my favorite is because he's such a great lightning rod. He's, a, you know, he's such a pompous ass, and he's a complete lunatic. And he is a lunatic, and he, <laughs> you know, he's like he goes like seriously unhinged. At <laughs> just outstanding. Where he's like he's. <laughs> And or you know, but he's also trying to be this like you know uh, Bushwood pillar of the club, and, uh, <laughs> and it's just so it, the juxtaposition of those two is just so great, and he's such a jag that and, and, and that allows others to play off him really well. Um, but I he, he has my favorite lines, and uh, I laugh the most I think is at his scenes. Um, second would be Rodney Dangerfield, just because he's just nonstop. And um, also ridiculous. And, uh, you know, his scenes are so manic. And, <laughs> and we'll get into sequences because there's just so much of my favorite uh, uh, sequences of him where he just, he's going off. He's just riffing. And uh, it's just great. Uh, three for me would be Chevy Chase. Um, you know, I feel like Chevy Chase is more of a, he's really funny. But also almost kind of a straight man. Um, and then four would be Bill Murray. And really, this is all like one A, one or one, one A, one B, and one C. Because like I rank Bill Murray fourth, but he's Bill Murray. And he is he's outstanding. He's great. He's great in this movie. And uh, every time he's on, I'm laughing. And I just I feel like there's not enough of him. Um, that's true. I was going to say that. I was going to say maybe you put him fourth is because see Ted Knight and Roddy Dangerfield are just going at each other the whole right. time. 
and right. Chevy Chase, he's he's with Cindy Morgan. He's messing around with Ted Knight, and he's always got someone to play off of. But Bill Murray, half of his scenes is just him talking about a gopher. Right. Which is the weakest part of the movie, not because of him, but because the gopher thing. That's the one thing they could have thrown out of the movie. They didn't need it. Which is hilarious because if you read the hilarious book um, that you recommended to me it's about the making of Caddyshack, and I forget the author's name. Um, Chris Nahawati. Yeah. Really. I'm sure I said that correctly. Well, at Jag Bags, we are pride. We take pride in pronunciations of last <laughs> names. Um, but this book was terrific. And one of them, they talked about how uh, the gopher was not a part of that first cut. And John Peters, the producer of it, said, you know what you need is like a cute kind of furry animal that runs around. And, and uh, yeah, exactly. And everybody associated with that movie is like, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard of. Yeah. But they had to do it because the it came from... From, that was a John Peters edition. And so they had to like make that stupid gopher work. And that's how it like the movie began with the gopher and it ended with the dancing gopher. So yeah. dumb, but you yeah, know, and you're willing to forgive it. The yeah, the title of that book is Caddyshack, the Making of a Hollywood Cinderella Story by Chris Nachowati, and that's spelled N-A-S-H-A-W-A-T-Y. It was in my top 10 a few years ago when it came out. It came out in 2018. It will, if you love... Really good book if you're, if you're a Caddyshack fan. It's like a must-read almost. Yeah, if you love movies and if you love Caddyshack, it, there are like so many great stories from that book. And uh, But I remember the gopher thing being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and yeah, that's all, that's all Murray. <laughs> Half of the... <laughs> so they just, they brought Murray back and had him just riff trying to hunt this gopher. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more like my quibble is maybe with the character of Carl Spackler than it is with Murray's performance. I mean, Murray like created a, as a performer, he was great, you know, because he just created this deranged license to kill gophers from the president of the United Nations. Um, and, uh, you know, it, he, his performance was terrific, but, uh, someone's got to be fourth. Mm-hmm. What about you? Okay, very interesting rewatching this today. Yeah, because I've I've seen it a bunch of times, but I don't remember the last time I saw it. So it came out when we were kids. So when you're a kid, you're like you're identifying with the goofy guys and the younger guys. So you're rooting for Michael O'Keefe and Chevy Chase is kind of a off the rails guy and so is Bill Murray's character. So those are your favorites when you're growing up. And Dan Lapke has always <laughs> yelled at me for not liking Ted Knight. But I watched it today and I'm like, Ted Knight is great in this. <laughs> He's just an insane man <laughs> and, and really good in it. But I don't know how I could rate these guys because my argument for Bill Murray in this is we're going to talk about favorite scenes in a little bit, but that scene with him and Chevy Chase yes. is one of the funniest things I've seen in my life. <laughs> we'll talk about it in a minute, but it's hard for me to not, I don't think I could put Bill Murray forth because that is my favorite part of the movie. Is that, that, <laughs> that scene? Yeah. 
And that's something, I mean, if they would have got rid of the stupid gopher and had Bill Murray interact with people more, I, I think it would have been like almost a, per- it's, it's a great movie anyways, but get rid of the gopher, give Bill Murray someone to go with. And it's like greatest movie of all time. Yeah. 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 And, and Rodney Dangerfield is someone, you know, I think he, I've always thought he's okay, but I wasn't a big fan. But in this, you're like, okay, all right. <laughs> He's pretty good. And Chevy Chase is just, his character is just, you're like, what is going on with this guy? <laughs> so it's not even, it's not even just a funny performance. It's kind of, it's interesting because you're like, what well, you said, here's, what is this guy really doing? Right. Is he, where's his money coming from? What's going on with him? There's just so much weirdness, which makes it, interesting to watch as long as as well as being funny i like the scene where he uh has lured uh, lacy underalls back to his uh, bachelor pad i don't think any luring was required and uh she uh, says there's an uncashed check here for five thousand dollars he's like <laughs> and then she's like there's a bunch of them <laughs> <laughs> and a summons <laughs> and a summons <laughs> so there's so much unsaid about this guy like right he's very mysterious what kind of crazy life has he led oh so many I mean, in my mind he's this guy who should have been a professional golfer because he has a talent yeah and they kind of imply it in the movie that he was in college and got in trouble because he got caught on a golf course with a dean's 15 year old daughter <laughs> But he's one of those guys who's just a self-sabotager. And, yeah. But maybe he's just a guy who came from money. But right. he kind of rebels against it, too. So there's there's a lot of layers to his character, which is unusual for a comedy like this. Well, he, he grew up in Bushwood as uh, Judge, your father and I, we went to war together. <laughs> School together. We built Bushwood. <laughs> you know, so like, so Chevy he's, he's like, my father did not like you. I, my father, my dad never liked you. <laughs> <laughs> so like he's grown up in a country club and uh, I can, I, I can only imagine. Um so, like I said, it's hard for me to pick. That's Honestly, tough. I might put I might put Rodney fourth. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think Rodney's really good in it because <laughs> from the rewatch, Ed Lang's insanity, hilarious. Chevy Chase, I think, is the best character. And Bill Murray, I remember when I was a kid, the, the lines I quoted the most were the Bill Murray ones. Sure. The Dalai Lama one. Yep. And the uh, Cinderella story. Tears in his eyes, I guess. Those are the ones I used to say the most, those two. <laughs> so it's it's tough for me. What about the secondary characters? There's so many. Um which which what are some of the ones that stand out to you if you had to pick just like there's so many. It's, it's, such a great, it's such a great set of characters. I know. Even the guy, even the guy who's the caddy with the big glasses and the weird looks. <laughs> he gets laughs, and I don't even know if he speaks. He may, he makes, I think it says a line or two. Yeah. But that guy's ridiculous. And he's just a total 
and the periphery character. Um, Spalding, of course. The finest. <laughs> Spalding. I think the best. that movie gets made a few years later, and Courtney Gaines played Spalding. <laughs> and we talked about Lacey Underall. She's great. Great. Another kind of subversive, rich person. Yeah. Who's kind of rebelling against her money. And you feel like Cindy Morgan should have had a huge career, mm-hmm. but it was like this and Tron. That was about it. Yeah. She's got a great Facebook page for anyone who wants to uh, follow her. And it's, uh, it's very entertaining. And uh, uh-huh. I, I, uh, I like to respond with a line from the movie. Um, like uh, she'll like post something and then I'll, I'll post uh, must be a change from dreary Manhattan. <laughs> then she's, she blocks you. Uh, well, you know, I've had to establish several burner accounts <laughs> to keep up with her. <laughs> but she, but she notices my wit just shining through. You know, right. Right. Um, but she's great. Yep. And the Nunzio is hilarious. Hilarious. And I watched some a special feature today, and the guy who plays Denunzio was talking about Harold Ramis telling him this guy's got to be have a lit camel the whole time. <laughs> and I guess Scott Columbia, the guy who played him, he was a rabid anti-smoker. That's awesome. And then that turned him into smoking like two packs a day. <laughs> <laughs> he knew what it would lead to. Yeah. So. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Just the way Denunzio dresses, like what he's he's playing golf. And he's got like the outfit he's wearing while he's golfing. My favorite is his golf swing as he like lines up. Like it's ridiculous. That golf swing is ridiculous. It's so funny. Yeah. And the only thing that's odd about it is at the end, all of a sudden he's Noonan's buddy after rooting against them, but at the very end of the movie, he's all excited for Noonan. And, well, you know, I mean, they fight, you know, like brothers, and they want to kill each other, but at the end of the day, <laughs> like, if, uh, if Noonan can win the golf tournament and, uh, you know, really stick it to, uh, especially with all the money involved, you know, and really screw <laughs> Judge Smales. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's, that's somebody to really root for. Denunzio kind of didn't have time for anybody and uh, um <laughs> and my final favorite is do you remember the driver of rodney dangerfield's boat uh no he doesn't have any lines but it's like a <laughs> rodney dangerfield says hey swanson let me drive the boat <laughs> his name's swanson he gets a special special mention for me uh anyone named swanson uh deserves a uh, a special uh, uh tip of the cap um yeah i i agree with all those that you said i also uh sarah holcomb i want to know all about the decision to give her character a irish accent um because that brogue is thick and fantastic i can't yeah, remember yeah. what covers it but I mean, it's just <laughs> some of those scenes are. I'm late. <laughs> late for what? For not being pregnant. 
Thanks a lot. Thanks for nothing. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, so that that's uh, she's been plucked more times than the Rose of Shillelagh. <laughs> <laughs> another another person that should have had a big career yeah i mean she had prominent roles in two of one of the all-time great comedies of the latter 20th century yeah and uh if there are any listeners out there who know what happened to her i i, I recall as like kind of a sad story because i don't think she really did too much filming afterwards no. no um maybe she's just like this is not for me and who cares um yeah about the acclaim or you know yeah i mean some people just are, are done like when we talked about eddie murphy last week the woman who played his wife she's just like ah, i don't want to do movies anymore i'm gonna be on a soap opera sometimes it's just not your thing yeah no matter how how successful you are at it yeah it's a it's a <clears throat> an unconventional choice and then we didn't talk about michael o'keefe you know, and he's kind of the glue that holds everything together. Um, but uh, but O'Keefe's a good actor, and um, and he's been in some excellent movies, and uh, and he's great in Caddyshack. Um, you know, he really is. Uh, you know, he he holds a lot of the scenes. I like a lot of the scenes with him and uh, and Ted Knight when uh, you know he's trying to enter that world, and uh, then he realizes, ugh, these people all suck. <laughs> and uh but he's he gives a very good you know very grounded performance among all the idiots running around uh <laughs> just doing their thing you, you know what's funny is so okay i don't remember last time i watched it but i've seen it a lot but it's yeah. been it's been a pretty long time so when i put it on today the opening scene i didn't remember at all where it's like 47 kids in the house <laughs> yeah and like super stereotypical Irish Catholic family. They have a giant cross. <laughs> and the kid comes and sits down next to the dad and he's like, who's this one? <laughs> and his wife's like, that's your nephew. <laughs> you know, it's just, just nonstop bashing. And being raised in Irish Catholic beef, I hope you shared my outrage. Uh, the- I'm still hurting from watching that opening. Maybe that's why I didn't remember it. The hurtful stereotypes are um, <laughs> leave a scar for life. You know, at least funny. the dad wasn't tanked. <laughs> right. Oh God. <laughs> you know what's funny too is that like that movie, like some movies don't age well. Like you know, the jokes are like, you know, they just they're dated and you know they're rooted in misogyny or racism or what have you. But there's one joke in it that's, I, and I feel like I think one homophobic joke. Yeah, I feel like there is in like most 70s comedies, but for the most part, it seems to have escaped that. Yeah. Yeah. There's only only one that I would say wouldn't play right now. Yeah. The writing is still, you know, clever and um and uh uh probably, you know, should have been more actors of color but in the in the roles, but that was that was the time. And things are better. Yeah. Today, yeah. Um and you could argue it's a country club. Right, so you're making fun of uh, this world of privilege and the moron. And that's what it was going to be back then. It was going to be all white people. True, so. very true. Yeah. And so, uh, but you're right. It does. It, it aged well. So I was, I was happy 
I was laughing so much at it. Yeah. And it's it's nice when something you like that long ago is still really good. Yeah. Um there's something else I was gonna say. I'm trying, trying to think. Go on, let's let's continue. Maybe I'll remember. You'll remember. Um your staff, uh, once they're released from the basement maze. <laughs> Um, what you forgot. So, so here's a question: Because Caddyshack came out in 1980, it's referred to as a, a an 80s comedy. Mm-hmm. Would you call it an 80s comedy, or is it kind of the last great 70s comedy? I mean, it kind of belongs to both decades. It's kind of an interesting year for. It's kind of an interesting year, or like an, an interesting placement of it, like generation. It, it kind of feels like the 80s for me, mm-hmm. even though it's, like you said, just started in 1980, but I always thought it was later. I always thought it was like mid-80s, so it feels, it feels like an 80s movie to me. Right. All right. I'm going to pick movies from the 80s, and you'll, we'll just do a picket where you, you know, pick the movie you like better. Okay, and after the picket, I'm going to give you a box office quiz since we brought that up. This Ooh. is the Caddyshack box office. Okay. I'm going to have you... Okay, go ahead. I'll do, uh, I'll do some quick ones. Mm-hmm. All right, picket, Caddyshack, or 48 Hours? Caddyshack. And I like 48 Hours, but Caddyshack's great. Yeah. And I, I like, I, I'd say 48 Hours is really good. I love 48 Hours, but I agree with you. I've also seen 48 Hours 8 million times. We saw it every Friday for like three months in a row. We just kept going because it was at the $2 or not even $2, probably a dollar movie theater by our house. Where did you see it? Where, where was that? The patio. Oh, Irving, yeah. Irving hey. and uh, Austin. Austin. Yep. Me, me, Brian, and Anthony, we probably saw and Dan Lappy right too. We probably saw it about 800 times. How funny. Yeah. That's still there, that old patio, or at least the building is. I don't know. If yeah, I don't know if it, it keeps going back and forth. They try to bring it back and something happens. I don't really know what the status of it is now. I think it's closed right now. I think Jag Bags should take it over. And we should. We should have live Jag Bags there every week. Yep. And untold millions. Reinvigorate the patio. Yeah, with Jag Bags. Mm-hmm. All right. Pick it. Uh, Caddyshack or... National Lampoon's Vacation. Caddyshack. Yeah, I think I'm going Caddyshack too. Um, no, no disrespect to National Lampoon's Vacation. I'm not a huge fan. I think they're decent, but Caddyshack's way better. Okay. I oh really? You thought just uh, National Lampoon's Vacation was just decent? Yeah. Hmm. Maybe you should. I should just let you go on to do Markham bags. <laughs> All right, uh, Caddyshack or airplane? That's that's a hard one. Yeah, I almost think I'd have to watch airplane like now and compare it because when I was a kid and I saw airplane, I missed lines because I was laughing so hard. Yeah, that's, that's how much I loved that movie. I thought it was the greatest. Agreed. But Caddyshack's almost funny the whole way through too i mean i I mean i was really impressed with 
how strong Caddyshack was the whole time. The only thing is the gopher stuff. That's the only thing that doesn't work. Everything else is funny, good characters, great. I mean, all the performances are really good. So I don't know. I don't know what I would say with that one. That's a real tough choice. That's a tough one. Uh, here's another one. And from the same year, too. Uh, yeah. One of my favorite parts of that book was when Caddyshack came out and Doug Kenny, the uh, the writer of it, he was depressed. He just he felt like they the, the movie kind of missed the mark and then it was doing okay at the box office, but it was no Animal House. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Airplane came out and not only it, 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 uh, it made more money than Caddyshack and he went to go see it and he walked out saying, that's the movie I wanted to make. I wanted to, I wanted Caddyshack to be airplane. Uh, I think airplane was 81. It's a, it's a part of the book. Um, I know it came out after Caddyshack. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was, it was 81. Uh, but not long after, because uh, I I thought that was a very interesting part of the book where he just, you know, I mean, he aimed, I mean, that's, that's an awful great movie to fall short of. Oh, and, Airplane was 1980. Um, especially when, you know, the movie you've just written is Caddyshack. Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, it's not right. listed in this list of box office for 80 for some reason. Yeah, it's weird. I must have the wrong list. That's odd. All right, two more real quick. Caddyshack or Stripes? Again. (laughs) I even wrote this down when when you were talking about doing that. There's just the classic ones that are so good. It's just hard to put them in order. That's something we should do is do a great comedy podcast. Our favorite comedy movies. Yeah. Because I would throw in Animal. What? Which one did you just say? You saw Stripes, Animal House, The Jerk, Blazing Saddles, and the Pink Panther movies. Because all of those are hilarious, and they're hard for me to separate for a couple of reasons. One is I. I mean, I, I would watch them all again. Just to go. Okay, are they still as funny as I remember? And if they are. How do you how do you pick? I know I I that's a really hard one. I'm gonna still go with Caddyshack, but it's like I mean, by the skin of uh, its teeth. Um, I think you know if if I was forced to uh, if a gun was to my head and I had to pick one, I'd, I'd go with Caddyshack. But it's it's tough. Okay. Uh, the I, final... might pick, I might slightly pick Stripes Ooh. only because when Stripes came out, I loved it so much. And I love Caddyshack, but Stripes with <laughs> maybe just because I like the cast a tiny bit better. Because like I said, back then, I wasn't a big The Night fan. And Rodney Dangerfield, I just think, you know, good. But Bill Murray, Harold, Harold Ramis is so good in Stripes. You, just, you wish he would have acted more. Just his expressions <laughs> when he's talking to John Candy's character. <laughs> so I think Stripes by a tiny bit. By a tiny bit. Yeah. I found a correct box office that has airplane on it. So oh, okay. we can do your, uh, I can do my trivia question with you. Okay. The last one, 
uh, Caddyshack or Short Circuit. No, um, Caddyshack or, okay, we're going to go with uh, a movie I love. I don't know what you think of it. Uh, Caddyshack or Better Off Dead. I love that movie. Better Off Dead. Oh, Caddyshack by a lot. Um, I think, <laughs> I think uh, Better Off Dead is criminally underrated. And, uh, but I agree with you. Caddyshack is uh, much better. We didn't do the Blues Brothers. What about Caddyshack versus the Blues Brothers? Caddyshack. But Blues Brothers is good. And Blues Brothers was an event when it came out. Especially yeah. living, living in Chicago. Because it was filmed there in Belushi's from Wheaton. So that was huge. Just such a huge thing when it came out. But I know I don't think the Blues Brothers hold, would hold up as well. I think it's still good, but not like Caddyshack does. Agreed. It's funny. Uh, IMDb rates uh, the 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 user ratings uh, rate Blues Brothers ahead of Caddyshack and Airplane, which is interesting. But I agree with you. I think Caddyshack is better. And I think Blues Brothers is, is really good. And Blues Brothers, a couple of good things about Blues Brothers besides it being funny is the music's great in it. Yep. And the action's good, like the chase scene at the end is really good. It's it's really well paced and everything. So there's it's more than just a comedy. But for entertainment value, Caddyshack and Airplane for me. What is your uh, what's your um, what's your uh, uh, trivia question? Okay, so we already mentioned Airplane and Blues Brothers. So they came out the same year as Caddyshack. So those two beat Caddyshack in the box office. Yes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna count one, two, three, four, five, six. There were six other comedies besides Blues Brothers and Airplane that had better box office than Caddyshack. Try to get three of them. And were they it's a hard all question? The hard question. Yeah, that do is. not consult Google. <laughs> so if you get one, I'll be impressed. So these are just movie movies that did better. No, these are comedies that came out in 1980. Uh, uh, was there a Cheech and Chong movie in there? Yes, sir. Good job. With that, Cheech and uh, Chong's next movie. Made like two million more. And Caddyshack. Yeah, good job, B. All right, try to get a couple more. We'll give you a few chances. We'll give you. How about we'll give you uh, four more chances to try to get two more. Uh, it's really hard. I don't think I could get it. God, I would. I won't even know. Uh, There's no Monty Python movies that came out in 1980, were there? I don't think so. You know what else came out in 1980 that I really liked? Talk about underrated movies. Where the Buffalo Roam. Uh, also Bill Murray. I really liked that movie. That, that, that was a bomb. Yeah, that did nothing. That was his only misfire when, uh, once he left Saturday Night Live for a long time. Well, The Razor's Edge, when he tried to be serious and do too great. That was, uh, that was his, uh, that's when his career sort of went 
off the rails. Before that, everything you touched turned to gold. What about used cars? I think that, that was earlier. Out? I think that was earlier than 80. That came up. Yeah. All right. Three uh, more chance, three more chances. Three more chances. When uh, you're down to one one chance, I'm gonna I'll give you some hints. All right. What about um uh what about uh what about any Mel Brooks movies? No, no Mel Brooks. All right, two more, two more shots, beef. What about any Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor movies? Yes, sir. Ooh. Which one? So, nineteen eighty, Richard. So, uh, what would be Stir Crazy? Yes, sir. Number three that year made one hundred one million. More than Caddyshack. Way more than Caddyshack. One hundred one million. Caddyshack made thirty nine million. That's wild. Yeah. Stir Crazy is a decent movie. I still remember a bunch, <laughs> bunch of it, like when the super mean bald prisoner is singing <laughs> a beautiful ballad in his cell, which I think a lot of people have stolen throughout the years because that's always funny. Oh, uh, that, that is funny. Okay, one more guess, Steve, and then I'll give you. I'll I'll give you the rest. Uh, so it wouldn't be Animal House because that was earlier. Yeah, that was I think seventy-eight. Uh, it wouldn't be. Um, I'm trying to think of like a really popular movie from 1980. Uh, uh not Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, well, Smokey and the Bandit too. Oh, Smokey and the Bandit 2? Smokey and the Bandit 2. All right, so pretty good, Beef. You did much better than I would have. So Smokey and the Bandit 2 made more money than Caddyshack? Yeah, it made $66 million. So funny. And then a couple other ones. Number two that year was 9 to 5. Oh, good. And That's number five one. was Any Which Way You Can. Number six was Private Benjamin. Filmed at Lane Tech. And if you consider, I, I've never seen Popeye. Is Popeye like a comedy or is it, I mean. I remember seeing it in the uh, movie theaters and I was, because I was a huge Popeye fan as a kid. And I was like, this with Robin Williams as Popeye, this is going to be the greatest. Mm-hmm. And walked out of there like, because uh, uh, it was a Robert Altman movie. Yeah. So there's a lot of mumbling and, you know, that the, just the way he shoots his movies. Um, with like side conversations and it uh, and I remember walking out of it and I was 11 mm-hmm. or 12 thinking what a disappointment that was and I've never seen it since so that was a movie I'd like to revisit yeah I've never seen it and I love Robert Altman so I need to need to watch it and Robin Williams that was he was set to be like a huge breakout that was I remember thinking oh that's this is going to make him a huge star you know as yeah. Popeye and it just didn't happen I know a couple of people really like that movie. So one of these days I'm going to sit down and watch it. Yeah. Because Altman, he, he's made some of my favorite movies. Yeah. I remember, you know, as I was, I wanted Popeye and I got this Robert Altman movie. Not that I knew what a Robert Altman movie was at age 12, but I thought it was right. going to be a lot more. Um, it's just, uh, I thought, I thought it was going to be more like slapstick and, um, but again, like I was, I was little. So that's Henry's age. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to 
favorite quotes since there's so <laughs> so many of them. How about we go back and forth? <laughs> All right, you go first. He was a brown nose, Lou. You hated him. <laughs> you remember that one? <laughs> that made me laugh so hard today. <laughs> I liked uh I sentenced boys younger than you to the gas chamber. <laughs> Didn't want to do it. Felt I owed it to them. <laughs> Looks good on you, though. <laughs> uh, oh, um, I like it. I can't. I don't know if I'm allowed to say the word, but when. Uh, they, he goes to the yacht club and uh, they they get high, and uh, they're pulling out the 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 weed. And the guy says, "This is good shit. I got it from a black person." <laughs> yeah, uh, oh my god! <laughs> hey, Whitey, where's your hat? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good. Uh, I, I already said it once before, but uh, when she goes, she's been plucked more times than the Rose <laughs> of <laughs> Biggest whore on Fifth Avenue, I'm told. <laughs> oh, so good. You'll get nothing and like it. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Rockoff wrote that on the bottom of our podcast dinner post today. <laughs> but he put the whole thing like, I want a hammer, I want <laughs> Do get nothing and like it. <laughs> uh, uh, I of course I like uh, uh, well uh, I keep playing. I don't think the heavy stuff's going to come down for quite a while. <laughs> Another great boomer. when he's with somebody. Those are all amazing scenes. Great sequence. That whole golf, with, but he plays with Bishop Pickering. <laughs> The graveyard is two blocks to the left. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll get to favorite sequences in just a second. Well, but uh, that's all. All those lines are fantastic. So good. I got some more. Can I can I reel them off? Yeah, yeah. You shave. <laughs> you shave your ass. <laughs> <laughs> That was another one I didn't remember. I was laughing at that. Oh, man. Great rewatch. Make your future. I'm a veg. Take it easy, Ty. <laughs> Certainly your, emin your eminency. <laughs> I said this one already. Cinderella Stone. About to come. Master's champion. It's in the hole. And cannonball it. Cannonball coming. <laughs> You've been acting psychotic lately. What the hell? That's <laughs> like 20 lines. So exciting. And it's a 97 minute movie. Oh, every line is like just just outstanding. When Ted Knight has his he's sitting in the chair and uh and uh Michael O'Keefe comes and uh sits down and he's like, sit down, Danny. And he's already sitting down. <laughs> It's, he turns around, smashes his feet into the. Yep. Yeah. It's comedic precision, is what it is. 
And he's like, my niece is the type of person that has a certain zest for living. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I can appreciate that night more now. Because when you're younger, you're like, yeah, stick it to the man and slobs <laughs> against snobs. And, but now you, you got some distance from that. So you can appreciate, I can, well, at least for me, I can appreciate its performance more. Oh, and he had great lines, just great lines. And when we get, we'll get the favorite scenes in a sec. Do you have any more lines? I think that's what's next is favorite scenes. Now let's go to favorite scenes. I think this is our last thing on the agenda, actually. All right. Why don't you start? So this is an under, um, <laughs> this is an under uh, looked uh, sequence, but um, uh, my buddy Kirk and I used to quote this all the time. And it's the scene where, uh, <laughs> And Ted Knight's about to putt. And he's like, oh, if I can just make this, you know, ha, ha, ha. And then Rodney Dangerfield says, hey, you know, judge, 500 bucks says you missed that putt. And then he's like, of all the nerve. <laughs> everyone's gathering around. Yeah. It <laughs> happens a few times. They just show people, like, <laughs> pouring through the forest to watch this golf. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> And then totally misses the putt and then throws his golf club <laughs> And then the next scene is this guy saying, well, if it, how did it, if it's not your club, how did it get here? He's like, it slipped. It's like, slipped? And he's like, sir, what seems to be the problem here? He's like, he almost killed my wife with his damn club. He's like, it was an accident. And then Michael, he's like, sir, uh, I uh, should have noticed that the grips on your putter were Warren, it's my fault. And then he's, and he goes, and then Ted Knight says, kids, next time be more careful. And then he's my favorite line. Look, I'm terribly sorry, Al. I'll pay for this umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll pay for your lunch. And she's like sprawled out. <laughs> she, the ambulance is coming for her. He's going to pay for her lunch. What a guy. <laughs> It's, it's so overlooked, but uh, we we would quote that all the time. <laughs> it was an accident. <laughs> uh, the other is, of course, when Rodney goes off in the uh, during the dance. Just, uh, I mean, you kind of alluded to, uh, you know, oh, you're 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 really something, baby. You must have really been something before electricity. <laughs> he just goes on, just makes fun of everyone. It uh, is so good. Yep. Uh, I love that sequence. Mm -hmm. That entire dance is great. Where And it ends where the the guy sits in, uh, after Spalding pukes in the car, <laughs> the guy comes out and sits. In, it's so cheap. And uh, yet so great. And Spalding is such a loser that he walks through that whole thing drinking all the unused all the all the uh yep. drinks that are left empty and cigarette yeah <laughs> solves almost swallows a cigarette almost and that's what makes him puke and but then spalding tries to be cool with who is it um with uh noonan yeah and then who's the grad school kid oh uh chuck shank <laughs> It's just eviscerated by Lacey. Yeah. Like, Bye, Chuck. 
He's like, oh, oh man, yeah. And, <laughs> and that's another that's another unusual thing about Lacey is that she just does whatever she wants. Right. She's like this woman character in a 1980 movie. She doesn't care. She's just gonna do whatever she wants. Yeah, agreed. And uh, you have any other ones before I go into mine? Um. Uh... <laughs> I also speaking of Lacey Underalls after uh, uh, she she beds Michael O'Keefe and then Judge Smales and his wife comes home and uh, that whole sequence <laughs> he goes crazy <laughs> he's trying to get his clothes she's just sitting there like yeah you fucked up <laughs> like, Henry would you come here and loofah my stretch marks <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we mentioned we mentioned zone nine. My favorite one is the Ty and Carl scene. Yeah, brilliant. And I've always loved that scene, but today I I didn't remember that Bill Murray basically <laughs> pulls out a shop back. <laughs> and and Chase is, is so great because he's like, no, no, no. And he, then he keeps drinking and smoking. <laughs> he's like, no. But then he drinks it right away and he smokes a giant joint. <laughs> oh, hilarious. I laughed so hard during that scene today. And that whole scene was improvised. Yeah, they they talk about that on this special feature I watched today, too, is that Harold Ramis, he's like, well, Bill Murray was like Second City trained. So he's trained in improv. But Chevy Chase wasn't. But Harold Ramis says Chevy Chase was also great at improvising. And <laughs> just... Bill Murray pulls off the couch covering. Jerry Chase like, oh no, no, don't clean up for me. <laughs> Bill Murray's like, oh, credit trouble. <laughs> Told him I was a assistant groundkeeper. <laughs> that didn't seem to help. <laughs> and credit um, trouble. <laughs> the other one I, I mentioned too is the golf one is so great with him and the his eminency. <laughs> this is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> and then, then afterwards he's drunk and he's like, You're a man of God. Pull yourself together. <laughs> there is no God. <laughs> I'm just, just a, a man. man. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's nonstop quotes and um, a scene you mentioned the biggest laugh to me in the scene is the, the one where Noonan sits down in, in Judge Schmale's office it's <laughs> the lamps in their way <laughs> 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 tonight just smacks it off the desk oh my god uh, and what makes that is like so he's like he's, his rage is can barely be contained yeah. And what makes it great is Michael O'Keefe's face of utter terror. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! This guy could kill me. Uh-huh. And um, <laughs> the two other ones I want to mention. One I'm surprised you didn't mention because when we did the journey sticks bracket, you posted the clip. Yeah. <laughs> Any way you want. I mean, it's a minute, but it's so funny. There's oh, just so something funny. about that that kills me. Some dancing on the golf course <laughs> journey. <laughs> Music is an invasion of our privacy. <laughs> yeah, it's just He's breaking a lot of the, the genius of a lot of the genius of the movie is just 
having the right characters butting heads. Yeah. And that just makes it funnier. The whole thing, it's Ted Knight's the establishment. And even though pretty much almost everybody except for Bill Murray and Noonan in this movie are, are rich, it's they're almost all subversive. Ted Knight's the only character that's not. And he's awful. He's an awful person. But he is great because he's the old guard. And you realize how, you know, diseased he is. <laughs> and it's uh, a good word for him. So, I mean, everybody, like, like Dangerfield, Al Cervic, he's loaded, but he's, it's all new money. And it's not like, you know, uh, old established guard money, you know, ancient Bushwood. You know, he's the new vulgar kind of nouveau riche. Yeah, he's just having fun and he, he wants everybody to just hang out with him too. And the last, the last, the last one I want to mention is, and this one's been quoted forever too, is the old Noonan miss it scene. Yeah, just the <laughs> the intensity in that scene is so hilarious because it's our friend from Quincy, Denunzio, and his brother are just going miss it. <laughs> just how intense they are in that scene. So funny. So funny. I remember being that being like uh, jarring because uh, you know I've never seen golf where like, the opponent is like screaming in the guy's face. Yeah, but that's that's the fun of watching at different periods of your life because now it's just it's still a great movie, but I laugh at things I probably didn't laugh at when I was younger. Right and. You see things that you missed before, even even though I've seen it probably, I've probably seen it ten times, maybe. Yeah, when I when I knew my, I remembered everything except the opening scene. When my dad uh, got a VCR for the first time, um, the one of the first movies we taped was Caddyshack, and uh, but it was the edited for television movie which is even more hilarious because of all the stuff that got edited out. Yeah, they talked about that. They, they got rid of the Baby Ruth scene. And they put in a Bill Murray scene. Yeah. Um, and only half of they they the one I saw, it had, it the Baby Ruth scene was in there, but they didn't have him fumigating the pool, finding the Baby Ruth <laughs> and saying, oh, it's fine. And then he faints. <laughs> And that that is wrong. It's fine to have a baby Ruth floating in a pool and everyone screaming duty. And uh, but it's not fine to have Bill Murray eat the candy bar. That is taking that out. Yeah. Yeah. But and of course the, the obligatory 70s sex scene had to be taken out. And um, and then there would be lines like, Do you do yeah, drugs? You had to cut the whole Michael Keith one because she's naked yeah. in it. Yeah. The Chevy Chase one, they could edit around because you can't really see anything. No. Now you don't see that. That's that's, that's a line, too. I used to always say, too. The one, I was born. <laughs> <laughs> I was born to lick your face. Len doing a classic Chevy Chase impersonation. I'm competing with you, Beef. Yes. Well, this is a you, movie. You that... have been tutored by Fred Travelina. I'm just trying to catch up. 
well, this is a movie that's okay to quote because everyone quotes it. Um, it's funny, like you can like say a, a line um, from the movie and it's funny because like most guys my age, like if the situation calls for it, they'll just, they'll laugh. They'll just, uh, uh, and because uh, they, they know what you're quoting. Yeah, I mean, we, you can't. There's well, not even one like <laughs> he was a brown nose Lou. You hated him. <laughs> that's not one everybody knows, but that's a great. It's <laughs> hilarious. And good Brian guy. Dale Murray, Brian Dale Murray, we even mentioned he's really good in it. That band telling people to pick stuff up all the time, all the time. But he realizes his job is ridiculous, and it, it's it's a small part, but all the characters there's something. There's something to him. Oh, he's great. He's a fantastically written movie. I think the writing is really sharp. Yeah. And uh, I think apparently Harold Ramis had never directed a movie before. And uh, so that this was his debut. And like they had to show him like he didn't know how to work movie cameras. Like they had to show him where to point the camera for certain shots. And uh, I mean, he was really kind of trying to figure it out on the fly. And, um, and the whole thing was um, kind of a big party atmosphere. Um, anyway, they're all down in Florida. Um, and that book was great about how they couldn't find a golf course. They, because nobody would let these morons out of the <laughs> golf course and film for however many weeks. Uh, and with good reason, because at the end, they blew up this golf course. They, uh, they actually like used um, explosive uh, like sticks of dynamite and poured gasoline down the the, the holes and then stuck dynamite absolutely just blew that whole thing up. There's no CGI there, which is great. Classic seventies uh, filmmaking. Anyway, awesome movie. Yeah, I'm looking. At, I was looking up Daddy Shack quotes to see if there's one they, where they rate them. But it doesn't really rate them. It just lists a bunch of them. I'd be curious. That would be a good. You can almost do a Caddyshack line bracket. What's your favorite? What's your favorite line. Caddyshack line? Line from Caddyshack. Yeah. Can you ask uh, who was the guy who wrote us or did he fax us or write us a letter? I he wrote a uh, certified letter from uh, Ghana Ubuntu. Mbutu. Ask Mbutu if he'd be interested in a Caddyshack line bracket. I'll uh, I'll put that in right now. He's probably going to come back with, uh, I'd be more interested in uh, best golf courses, uh, of, of greatest golf courses of the world. Mbutu's tastes seem a little dry. I want to do, I actually want to do this now. You can oh, come up with 32, no problem. No problem. I think I'm going to do it, Beef. I, I stand behind you. Let us know, Jagbags listeners. I think I'm going to do it. That'd be good. That's Caddyshack quote. <laughs> it looks like a miracle. It's in the hole. <laughs> I also like that as he's doing it, he's taking a machete and cutting off the heads of flowers. <laughs> this beautiful flower arrangement. <laughs> Just destroying. <laughs> Pretending to be this master's golfer. 
And when he's doing the whole Dalai Lama speech, he's he's got a rake. An actual in the guys. Uh, there's a colleague of mine who knew that guy, um, the the actor who's had a pitchfork. Uh, Bill Murray stuck a pitchfork right against his neck, and uh, and he hated him because he walked around acting like he'd invented acting. He's like, well, in my scene work with Bill Murray, we rewrote comedy <laughs> rules. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I don't recall you saying anything in that scene. Yeah. Quiet. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so good. I'm so happy I watched it again. Yeah, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm happy, very happy I, it holds up. And yeah. it's just my my staff, I allowed them to laugh during it. <laughs> so that well, was you nice. really are loosening the reins over there. You took the blind, or you took the blindfolds and the gags out. I did, I did. <laughs> so, so magnanimous. What a what a mensch you are. I'm gonna have to nominate you for a humanitarian of Woodridge. Uh, Thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyways, anything else, Steve? For Caddyshack, mm-hmm. I think we covered it all. I think our I think we we have another podcast triumph. I think so. We want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, please check us out. I think Facebook is back up and running as is Instagram, which means you can check out our pages there as as well as Twitter. Uh, if you like what you see, please write us a note. Please write us a good review. Please subscribe to our podcast, which appear on various. Uh, uh, podcasting channels um wherever fine podcasts are found you will find jag bags if you also if you are so inclined please write a review of us and share it with your friends make it hashtag jag bags also we have t-shirts for sale twenty dollars how can you turn this down all sizes taking america by storm worn by teenagers in malls Hot item. Across the Midwest, from St. Louis to Cleveland. Arizona. From Arizona to the East Coast. LA, right? LA. LA have a couple? LA's got a couple. Yeah, we're we're all over the place. You're going to run into a Jag Bags t-shirt everywhere these days. Don't might as well join in and be one of the cool kids. Don't be that guy that says, where's your Jag Bags t-shirt? And you're like, oh, well, um... I, I know. I really should really order it. Don't be that guy. Buy a Jag Bag shirt and then save your Red Rifle merchandise for Christmas gifts. <laughs> if, you're, if you're on a budget and you need to space them out. Yeah. But if, you have, if you're fine with your finances, you can get both. Listen get your Andy Dalton jersey and your Jag Bag shirt at the same time. You know, you're just muscling in on the jag bags action with me here, red rifling. We do have red rifling and sweatshirts available for the <laughs> bargain price of $75 plus shipping and handling. So let me know if you're interested in one of those. Champagne tastes. What's uh what's on the bracket? What's on the docket for next week's episode of Jag Bags? Next week, we're going to be talking about the t-shirt and 
what makes a t-shirt so comfortable? <laughs> when you get a t-shirt, should you have some patience with it? So it turns into something. Not all t-shirts are alike. Sometimes you buy one and it's, you know, you're like, I'm not sure about this one. But after a few washes, suddenly it's one of your favorites. This is not going to be one you want. Ubuntu will be all <laughs> over this. Or we might table that one. Aww. And talk about our 10 favorite actresses. Ooh. Doesn't have to be a movie actress. It could be someone who's mainly done television. Mm-hmm. It's up to me and B to decide. Mimi Rogers. <laughs> Mimi Rogers. You know what she was really good in? What was the movie about? It was like about the end of the world. I forgot what it was called. I have to look it up. She was really good in that. She was just in uh, um, that. I believe she was just in. I want to say. Uh, I don't. What was one? What was she just in that I thought was she was really good in? Um, boy, we are a. Um, <laughs> We're done with podcast. We get a little sluggish of uh, information for you. Um, my Arnold Palmer is the the boost I got from my Arnold Palmer endorsed by Red Rifle half and half tea lemonade is wearing off. So that's why we're lacking. Uh, how could I forget? She was a Honey Chandler in Bosch. <laughs> she was phenomenal in Bosch. Bosch was wow. on seven years? Yeah. Wow. Don't overlook the juggernaut, the Titus Welliver led juggernaut. <laughs> the Welliver wave is what I think you're calling oh, it. That is Bosch. Rogers, Welliver, sexual chemistry through the roof. <laughs> Someone to watch over me. That's not the one I was thinking of, but she's good in that too. Did you ever see that? Uh, I think a long time ago. When did that movie come out? It was, yeah, it was like 90s. Her and Behringer. Come on. Behringer is guard, her bodyguard or something, and they fall in love. Please. It was good though. Yeah. I'm trying to find the one I was oh the no the, the rapture. That's that that's a good one. She was really good in that. That was 1991. As um classic Mimi Rogers. Someone to watch over me was 87. What I like is that uh when she's also in smart good movie with Chris, Christopher Reeve and Morgan Freeman. Yeah, good flicks. Tune in next week and you will hear all of this and a lot more. So we promise to uh, keep the uh, off-color comments to a minimum and we'll focus <laughs> strictly on the art. Um, I don't know about that. Nah. But we'll do our best. Let us know about t-shirts and the Caddyshack bracket. Yes. And please visit us at jagbags.simplecast.com for any other episodes. And we'll see you next week. And when you're ready to listen, put a little jagbags in your ear. <laughs>